Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Monday. What a show we have planned for you. We're not fooling around. We're going to start this week with a bang. The FBI whistleblower who has blown the whistle on the January 6th investigation on the padding of statistics to make America's extremism problem look far worse than it is, who claims that the rights of defendants and suspects are being violated, and that the FBI is being weaponized so that even if you didn't commit a crime, Going through the process of an investigation becomes your punishment. That FBI whistleblower, he's joining us today on the show. He is Agent Steve Friend from Florida, and he is one of 20 significant whistleblowers that have gone to Congress to blow the whistle on what they say is the politicization, the misuse, the abuse of the FBI's law enforcement policies. We're going to have him for most of the show. That is an incredible moment. And I want you to listen to some of the words he uses in the interview. I got the chance to talk to him over the weekend. There is an extraordinary thoughtfulness to what he's talking about. And listen, he's not being partisan. He says he's worried about the future of the Bureau and its trust that it has with the American people. And he says most of his colleagues share his concerns of not as many are willing to come forward as he has been for fear of losing their job. So Agent Steve Friend, we're going to have for most of the show. And then, hey, when you're on a roll, you're on a roll. Ambassador Rick Grinnell, former director of national intelligence for the United States, he's in the house. We're going to have him for the second half of the show. A really interesting point he's been making about the failures and incongruity of the Biden administration's foreign policy Think of this. This is what he tweeted out over the week and caught my attention. The Biden administration wants to give billions to Iran. Iran is giving kamikaze drones to Russia to kill Ukrainians who were funding in the war. So it's circular. We're helping Iran. Iran helps Russia. Russia attacks Ukraine. We're supposed to be helping Ukraine. There's something wrong with that picture. Ambassador Rick Grinnell is going to give us the real insights later in the show. So stay tuned. We've got an amazing show. Agent Steve Friend, the whistleblower, followed by Ambassador Rick Grinnell, right after these commercial messages. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So 
you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Tell us a little bit about your career. I mean, you, you started in law enforcement, you moved to the FBI, and my understanding, you had stellar ratings up until this summer, right? Yeah, that's correct. I um, I began law enforcement uh, as a police officer in Savannah, Georgia, back in 2009. Uh, joined the FBI in 2014. My first um, assignment out of the FBI Academy, I was sent to the Omaha field office. Uh, Omaha has uh, their area of responsibility is all of the state of Nebraska, all the state of Iowa. So uh, they actually stationed me in Sioux City, Iowa, uh, which is northwest Iowa, right near the border with South Dakota and Nebraska. Spent about seven years there investigating violent crimes, major offenses that occurred on Indian reservations in the area. There were three tribes there. So spent seven years working there, uh, had stellar reviews, exemplary performance. Um, at at that time, I uh, was relocating. You know, I, I was the senior agent there. Um, there was actually even um, from the higher ups some some mild pressure to to reconsider relocating and, and to, to stay on there um, and almost be a, a quasi supervisor capacity. Right. Um, but but uh, you know, after being there for seven years, uh, it was time to get a little bit closer to home uh, for us. So we, uh, we there's an exit benefit for the agents who work a certain length of time uh, on Indian reservations because it's so hard to fill. There's only about 150 agents who work at the entire FBI. Um, wow. So yeah, it's I mean it, it's it's not for everybody. Um, it's very independent, uh, high case volume. The uh, you're considered fully assigned at 25 cases, um, but I uh, consistently 30 to 40 cases was pretty pretty consistent for me at any given time. Um, and, you know, I 
think I probably opened over 200, yeah, over 200 cases in seven years. I got over 150 arrests. So it's, it's pretty busy day to day. And it's just a, you know, a burden on, on the agents and their families. So they give you a nice little incentive to try to get people to, to raise their hand to do it. Uh, I happen to just get sent out of the academy to do it. Uh, but having done it, I, I really enjoyed it and would have probably volunteered if, if, you know, if they'd asked me at the time. So uh, relocated, we went to the Jacksonville, Jacksonville field office. Um, and they, uh, they had some vacancies in some of the resident agencies. So we chose, uh, Daytona beach and moved, um, down here, June of 2021. Um, at the time, the, the supervisor who was, uh, minding the desk there, uh, set it up to be a transfer for me to work child exploitation, uh, child pornography investigations, human trafficking investigations. Um, so she came in and that's sort of a, is crazy it is it sounds it's sort of a uh a cousin within the fbi uh to indian country investigations um and the, the real reason for that is you have to liaison with locals um in order to gin up casework and and there's just a tremendous volume of them and you're just you're you're just turning a wrench on one to the next and uh, uh so it so it took that on uh worked that until their fiscal year rolled over. So beginning in October, so it was about two and a half months. And at that point, the supervisor that had been in place when I arrived in Daytona had actually a few weeks before had retired. Um, so until his permanent replacement came in, uh, there was a, a void there. Uh, leadership in Jacksonville called down and said that uh, I was going to be reassigned to work um, domestic terrorism cases as a member of the Joint Terrorism Task Force that's in Daytona Beach. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was a little bit upset, uh, you know, because I'd taken the transfer with the understanding I was going to be working these, uh, child exploitation cases. Um, I'm, but I'm a team guy. Um, but my, my, my real concern was that I'd made a lot of promises to a lot of the liaison partners here that I had eight years in the bureau. So I was, I was not looking to relocate or promote. I was going to be here for the next decade and a half and, uh, you know, and just wanted to, to work with them and not kind of felt like. 10 weeks in that I was going to be backing out on a lot of promises. Um, the, uh, the response that I got from um, leadership was that uh, those investigations were going to be considered a local matter going forward and that domestic terrorism was the highest priority that we had. Wow. So, so basically yeah. let the local police handle all the child exploitation, sex trafficking thing, and the FBI is backing out of that business. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, they, yeah, I'm, if there was something that was, you know, huge, like a like a Nasser type of investigation, you know, especially after right. what happened with Nasser, I think they would would jump on that. Um, but you know, it's the, the the crimes are abhorrent, but for the most part, even the federal prosecutors are kind of like, well, there's so much of it out there that they can't really make their bones on those cases. They're looking for bigger, bigger, higher profile cases, and they think that the states can and the county prosecutors can really bring charges. I, I disagree. I mean, I think you, you, if you work something simultaneously with locals, a lot of times you can choose your own adventure on, you know, federally or state, uh, what, what would be the more advantageous route to go. But, uh, yeah, they, they, they pulled us back and said, let the locals handle it. So I, and do you think this was a local mandate meaning coming out of Jacksonville and, um, and, uh, Daytona beach, or do you think this was a national mandate in terms of abandoning, um, of the child exploitation cases? I suspect it was Jacksonville. I can't, I can't really speak to the other field offices. The, right. uh, I, I do think though in, in Jacksonville that it was 
a definite effort because uh, I was a one-man operation doing uh, child exploitation cases, but there was an wow. entire squad in Jacksonville working them. And I, right. you know, so I would I would lean on them for just advice and because I had no experience, and they got completely uh, broken down, and uh, they they left two agents to to look into those cases, and everybody else was moved over to a, a violent crime squad. So they right. definitely were pulling us back from those type of cases. Amazing, wow! So that happens, and then you start getting assigned to some of the January six cases. How many cases did you get assigned in the domestic terrorism realm when when you made the move? <laughs> So um, January 6th cases are not necessarily all domestic terrorism cases. It's kind of weird. Um, they are being investigated by the JTTF. Um, so they, you know, you, you have the resources and assets there from national security, but a lot of them are actually riot investigations, which is a criminal charge. But right. uh, at, the, at the time that I got moved over, um, they may be a, a case agent on I believe two that were uh, domestic terrorism they, uh, extremist you know entity cases, and um, and I saw a couple others that were uh, riot cases. Um, but I gotta be honest, I, I can I can't pin down an exact number because there was nothing to do on them. So I I yeah. never really I I kind of kept myself still sequestered from them because I, until the new boss arrived, and even after he arrived, he kind of uh, gave me the the nod that there just wasn't any work to do that side of the house and, and just make myself available should anything come to light if any work needed to be done but so, they were you were essentially a, 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 on paper the case agent but the cases are really being worked out of wfo is that right yeah yeah so so when i got moved over i saw these cases uh, i'm a crim guy criminal uh, background so my immediate it you know action is like all right what do we what do we got to do what needs to be done on them and the, what I got back from the guys in my office was, well, we've done everything that, that they asked us to do from Washington. We're just waiting on them to tell us what to do, if they're, they're going to charge it or if we need to do more work on it or if they're going to close it out. We're, we're waiting on direction from them. Wow. And uh, what's the danger when you're listed as a case agent, but really all the investigative work is being done by a different office and agency? So we're, we're working at that point outside the rules of um, the the DIOG, the Domestic Investigation Operations Guide, right. that's set up for the FBI to to carry out all its cases. So, uh, you know, a, a crime or a, a, you know an entity, a criminal enterprise exists, and the, you know an investigation is opened. That is, um, you know, whoever owns that case is the case agent on that case. Their office is the office of origin for that case. They have um, carte blanche. For, lack of a better term on, you know, how to properly pursue the investigation on the case. Now, headquarters in our guide can determine, can use their, their judgment as to determine what is the office of origin. Um, but once they make that call, it is in the hands of that case agent in that office to really make, make uh, decisions. Now, if, if you need work done outside of your area, you know, like if I needed a subpoena served in Dallas for a case, like it wouldn't make sense for me to jump on a plane and serve a subpoena. I, I would do what's called the the field office. Yep, they would do it. So, you know, if a case was for in, of January 6th uh, was opened in Washington, which to me makes sense just because the crime occurred there, um, then they could cut leads to us to do anything, to, to interview the subject, right. to, to go at Evans, even arrest the subject. Uh, but it's their case. If Now, if they decide right. that the case needs to be opened here, then it's our decision on how to proceed. So it, it creates problems there. Um, just what, you know, who's running the show. And it also, to me, created some Brady 
material um, issues that were going to pop up if a defense attorney was on point uh, at trial later on. And describe that because uh, basically you're the, uh, were there any instances where you were asked to swear out an affidavit or something, but it really was WFO's office work? No, I actually didn't swear out affidavits, even to arrest the subjects in the cases that I was listed as one of the case managers on. Yeah. Uh, the the agents in D.C. and the task force up there was swearing out the uh, the affidavits. My point, though, was, uh, you know, Brady material is essentially the government has to turn over its and all its material that's, you know, relevant to a, a prosecution. Um, and right. I, I just could foresee a pretty easily, you know, avoidable or a bad situation where, you know, uh, Steve Friend is the case agent on John Smith, who's being prosecuted for January 6th. Uh, right. And uh, and then they I'm put on the stand because it's my case. And, you know, and defense attorney says, well, agent friend, uh, what what did you do? You're the case agent. And I would say uh, I didn't do anything. Well, did you make this decision? Well, no, I didn't. Did your supervisor approve that? No, he didn't. And it just seemed like that was a could be a massive problem. And then you could wind up actually, yeah. you know, be, I could be cross examined by the federal prosecutor where they would basically have to impeach my credibility and I should right. be working with them. Unbelievable. And why do you think they did this? Why take the risk of having a, a field agent in uh, Daytona be listed as the case agent when in fact all the work's done in Washington? Do you, did they tell you why they were structuring it this way, which was in, in contravention of the, uh, the DIOC? Yeah. So the, uh, the the first supervisor I had in Daytona, I asked that exact question, and he told me that he was on a conference call that was nationwide with uh, supervisors from around all different field offices and headquarters relayed the message, quote, it was to get buy-in from the field. Um, wow. That's not something that's an actual term. That's not an actual, you know, right. investigative strategy. Not in the diag. Yeah. No. So uh, I, at that point, I started to, you know, can surmise, even formulate my own opinions on, on what, um, you know, I, I think the real reason is and this is, you know, outside. It was it's in my complaint, um, you know, yes. so, you know, it's in public, it, yeah. but I, I definitely think it is to further the uh, the narrative that domestic terrorism is a widespread issue around the country. They're essentially flattening the the total number of cases that are stemming from one incident in one city on one day, and they're spreading them around the country to give the illusion that it is a nationwide problem when in fact it's a one-time incident. So the, the analogy that I always use to explain it is if you do a, an analysis on uh, officers, police officers killed in the line of duty, you basically throw out 2001 because of 9-11. And the reason is that the bottom line number is so huge compared to other other um, years. And it's not because there was a huge uptick nationwide. It was because of the, the towers coming down in, in New York City. Right. So similarly, they've not changed the bottom line number, the total number of cases, um, but they've made the illusion around the country. And, and there's actually a reasonable case that you could be made that the entire January 6th case should be one case and there shouldn't be cases for each individual person. So that's, and right. that's even a you know disputable thing where now you've made you know nine hundred to a thousand cases out of one incident. Yeah. So basically, it, it becomes a form of statistical manipulation uh, to make it look like there are hundreds of cases around the country. Really, when it stems from a singular event in Washington on January sixth. Correct. And and there's tremendous incentive um, 
at leadership levels for that to happen, even, even in the field offices, the senior executive staff, the, the special agent in charge of the field office, there's, there's metrics for them to meet where they, they want to have a certain number of, of national security cases open. And this is, right. you know, a way for them to get on it. And then, and the, you know, the known fact is if you have a national security opened, a case opened up in the FBI because it is, you know, such a high priority. And, th- and this is not just stemming from uh, January 6th, but just you know, right. since 9-11 and generally right. the amount of resources that get ex- are at your fingertips is incredible. It's, wow. you know, with it, no questions asked. I mean, if I needed a, a surveillance team for somebody tomorrow, I, I just cut a $30,000 check and the team is here. Whereas if yeah. I'm, you know, on an Indian reservation in Northeast Nebraska, it took You're me- You're on your own. It took me six years to get a, a recorder to wow. interview, to record my interviews. So it's, it, there's a huge disparity in, you know, incentive and, and resources available. And, and there's a very big pot of, of money available on national security. Amazing. That's an amazing part of the story. I don't think I, I understood until today. That's really great. Um, I know you've had some concerns about the way um, some of the J6 defendants that you were asked to pursue uh, have been treated. And I've been told by some of your colleagues of a, some episode where you were asked to target a guy at his son's funeral. Is that accurate? So I received a, a guardian lead that came out. There was not an actual case open on the individual. It was an anonymous right. tip um, that they said that they had, uh, it was from Rhode Island that they had looked at the FBI site identifying, you know, an unknown person. They said, I think it's this person. So without anything else, they had, they had done a check of facial recognition uh, software, nothing. They checked the guy's cell phone. There was nothing. They said, go out and interview him. So with an anonymous tip, I, to me, I, that's, you know, I don't think a knock and talk interview is warranted, but that's, you know, that, that yeah. you can dispute, you know, and you can, reasonable minds could say, well, yeah, it's warranted. Let's go so for an interview. I just want to make sure I understand this. Beyond, beyond the anonymous tip, there was not a shred of evidence that this guy had engaged in anything criminal. Is that correct? Correct. Absolutely correct. So that was the, actually the first thing I ever did for anything pertaining to January 6th was going to this gentleman's um, condo, knocking on his door and saying, I'm with the FBI. Were you you at the Capitol on January 6th? And he said, no, uh, that was the day of my son's funeral. So I wasn't there. And I uh, gave my business card and I said, thank you. And I left. Wow. And no one ever asked you to go back a second time, right? That basically ended the case at that point. At that point. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I documented it, sent it back. I don't, uh, yeah. that individual, at least from my office, hasn't been approached again as to my knowledge. Right. Right. And then you spent how many years on the, uh, as a member of a SWAT team when you were out in the Indian reservation, you were also trained for SWAT. Is that correct? Yeah, so every field office has a SWAT team. I was on the Omaha field office SWAT team from May of 2016 to May of 2021, right before I transferred. Yeah, and the general principle of SWAT is that it's really a uh, a resource of last resort, correct? It's special weapons and tactics, so there's a matrix that exists from the FBI that provides guidance on when it should be used. Um, And, you know, it's, it's typically used for, the you know, perceived danger, um, you know, if there's a, somebody who's got a violent history, if there's, you know, potential for uh, firearms to be available, uh, they want to have that extra layer of training and, and um, you know, and tactics available to, to sure. secure the area and, or even arrest the subject. 
Um, the, the, rest, the other agents are perfectly capable of doing it, but you know they they don't have the extra training that SWAT uh, operators do. So it's just it's a it's an extra tool in the toolkit for the uh, for the field office. But it, it, it normally, you know, there's a there's a fair amount of assessment that goes on as to whether or not we're going to use SWAT for a particular operation. In the in the last year since you moved to Florida, have you ever seen a SWAT team deployed without meeting the 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 terms of the matrix that you're normally supposed to meet? Uh, the, no, but the terms of the matrix are pretty broad. They're supposed to be, you know, taken in good faith, but the presence of firearms in, especially in a state like Florida, um, SWAT would be used to, to arrest me even if for a nonviolent offense, because I have personal firearms. Right. So that could be justified for this, right? Yeah. So it's a it's a fairly uh, easy matrix uh, point to hit, and it really depends then on pushback from SWAT team leaders and SWAT team supervisors. But they they you know they have a fun toy and they want to use it. They want to give their their team an opportunity to, to go out and do well, and then you know receive funding and then an accolade. And so there's a, definitely an incentive to use SWAT from them as well. And before you moved to Florida and got signed January 6th, did you ever see a SWAT team deployed for a misdemeanor offense? No, no, I, I was never on any um, in, any SWAT deployments for misdemeanors. You know, at least at the time that we had a warrant in hand, you know, it was for me for a felony. Down the line, right. maybe somebody you know was pled to a misdemeanor. I can't say, but no, right. my my entire SWAT experience was for violent felonies, um, for you know drugs. Uh, we, um, you know, I was part of the, one of the teams that was involved with the the. Governor uh, Whitmer takedown that we were we were right. sent over to assist with that. So that was the type of of cases that we were we were working on. Right, and that would be a you know legitimate use. When did you realize that they were using SWAT teams for January six defendants that were nonviolent and misdemeanor in, in criminal nature? Well, so the this there there's been a little bit of confusion about about this. I. Um, I knew that the operation that I was objecting to participating in was going to involve SWAT. I believe yep. that the individual that they were going to charge was going to be charged with a felony. Okay. Now, I, my objection was not that, that SWAT was being used to, to, to go arrest somebody who was charged with a felony. My objection was right. this was an individual who we'd been in contact with, who we knew already had an attorney, uh, who had been cooperative with us. Right. And that, to me, seemed like a little bit of a... a over overuse of, of SWAT. There's you know, there's yep. a lot of other mechanisms that you know you could you could just straight go to the person's lawyer and say you know here's a summons to come to court. If if you wanted to catch him, there's you know obviously no lack of resources. Surveillance could be conducted, and we could right. you know intercept the person on their way to work, or you know yep. even just liaise with locals like I did. You know and that was the other thing. I I, I arrested over 150 people, violent criminals on on Indian reservations. They committed things ranging from rapes to aggravated assaults to homicides. I never used SWAT. I never uh, myself even approached the residences. I always liaised with my local police, uh, tribal police partners, because they knew the individuals and they could go up right. and knock on the door and say, hey, Mr. Smith, you have a federal warrant. You got to come with me, man. And there was never an issue. The person would just go yep. because they, you know, they were being treated with respect and they had already talked to me and, you know, they Take knew the lowest temperature approach, right? Yeah, correct. So, I, you know, I, I pointed that out to leadership. I said, you know, look, you know, one of our considerations is, is there an unnecessary risk of danger? And I said, frankly, we've been 
fairly lucky that we haven't created a Ruby Ridge scenario where somebody, you know, is coming back from a hunting trip and, you know, then all of a sudden there's a tactical team at their door with a bear cat. And, yeah. you know, that could be completely avoidable, especially if we have an open line of communication with this person and we spoke to them and they have counsel and we could bring it to easy resolution. Um, you know, I don't know what a search, I could, you know, search is, a search warrant is definitely a, a legitimate tool. Um, sure. But it's also perfectly legitimate to call a person's attorney and say, hey, you know, we need to get uh, the, the beanie cap that he was wearing that day. Can he turn it over? Yep. And at that point, that it's incumbent on the attorney to say to his client, "Yeah, they, uh, you know, the FBI needs that, you know, needs that beanie cap, so that right. we can be perfectly professional and civilized." And that's sort of the FBI's reputation. All right, folks, we'll be back with more with our exclusive interview with Agent Steve Friend, the whistleblower who decided to call out the FBI for its treatment of January 6th defendants. Right after this commercial break. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge a signature on a home sale form, then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, your home is not in your name, and all of a sudden, debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at signup. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Hey folks, it's John Solomon here. Today I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Why do you think the more militant approach to all these arrests? Has anyone described to you in leadership or among your colleagues why they were using the shock and all approach? 
they I was told that there were there were three le- legs to the stool when it came to making the decision. It had to be legal. Uh, it had to be uh, within our policy, and it had to not put me or any of my coworkers in a uh, unnecessary risk of personal safety. And they said as long as they met all three of those components uh, and they decided to use SWAT, that they were perfectly within their uh, within their rights and within the rules to do so. And that and that is correct. There's you know, SWAT is a legitimate tool. Um, I, my my pushback to them is like I felt like there was an aspect to it that was the punishment was the process. You know, even if somebody, you know, eventually is either you know, acquitted or say they even plead guilty to a misdemeanor and they, they wind up spending, a, you know, a month in, you know, incarceration. Um, the very fact that a tactical team was coming up on their lawn with a bear cat and at six o'clock in the morning, throwing, you know, potentially throwing flashbangs in their house. Right. And terrorizing their family and alerting the neighborhood like that. That just seemed to me like a, a little bit of an overkill. And for me to say that, to it, you know, with my background, I felt like, you know, was, was saying something because I'm, I'm hardly the shrinking violet. I, you know, I did swap myself. I, I think it's a, right. it's a great tool and a great resource. And, um, and, you know, I've, I've arrested so many people that, you know, I don't, I'm not somebody who's saying like you, you know, you did the crime, but you don't do the time. Right. I, I thought there was just a better way and a better approach to doing it. And and I voiced that with my leadership. They just didn't share my opinion. Yeah. Uh, at what point did you realize you felt like you needed to blow the whistle that you need to go, even if it meant the end of your career at the FBI, that you would have to come forward? And, and what was the, when you, when you summarize, you know, I, I, I had to come forward. What, what is the ultimate ailment or wrongdoing that you think the FBI needs to fix to keep agents like you in the field and not, not lose them? Uh, when word came out that we were going to be doing these arrests after you know, at this point, it, it, you know, was over 18 months since the incident. And, you know, we, there had been ample opportunity to consider, reconsider, and they had actually even pushed back and thought for a minute that they weren't going to charge some of these people and then had reached new conclusions from Washington. That's when I, I said to myself, look, we're not running these cases ourselves. And that's outside the rule. And, you know, and, and we are setting ourselves up for, you know, a major fall. So I, I brought that to my supervisor's attention. I brought my concerns about not following FBI rule. I brought my you know, concerns about potentially abusing power to him. And uh, you know the, the, push, the feedback I got from him, I, I actually even volunteered to do alternative duties, make myself available at the time. There was a, uh, a wiretap going on for a drug case. And that's pretty right. mundane work. That's sitting around waiting on a phone to ring for you know, 8, 10, 12 hours. Um, and, uh, he said that that was not going to be, uh, acceptable for me. I was going to be having to participate and, uh, and then just, just various factors of, well, I'm technically a case agent on this case and I'm not involved in the planning of it. And I'm being told that I'm going to have a you know responsibility to, to transport somebody for this case, you know, to, right. to the magistrate that I'm being told what my role is going to be. And, and I'm one of the case managers. So it's pretty clear to me that we're not we're not actually in charge of our own cases, which is a problem. So the uh, you know he he heard me out and uh, you know said that he respected my opinion and respected my uh, you know my integrity to come to him, but ultimately he passed it on up to the next level of management. Uh, they requested me to come in and express the exact same concerns. I had a, a long sit down meeting with them. Um, in that course of that meeting, there were some statements that that they made 
to me that were extremely disturbing. Um, they, you know, at one point, one of the uh, assistant special agents in charge said, you know, he, he made accusations that I was being a bad teammate and, um, and he questioned whether why I believe that people who killed police officers didn't need to be charged with a crime. Right. So my response to him was that no police officers were killed by anybody on January 6th. None of the uh, you know protesters or rioters or whoever you want to call them had actually killed a police officer, and he was floored by that response. It, it was yeah. as if that was new information to him. So um, I, I I said, look, ultimately I don't want to be involved with anything with these cases. It's just these cases. I will do. Uh, I'm again, I'm a team guy. I will do domestic terrorism investigations. I will do international terror investigations that need to be done. Um, but I, I ultimately, I feel like I have a potential conflict of interest here. And, you know, if that exists, I think there should be a reasonable accommodation made. They disagreed. Um, so as, after I left there, as I left, I said, can you just, you know, let me know how this process is going to play out? And they said it was going to be a long time. I was going to, you know, the federal government is like a turn in a uh, aircraft carrier. So it would be a, a while before anything came out. Uh, within three hours, I had an email from them saying that I was not to report to work the next day um, and wow. that I was going to be uh, considered absent without leave and my pay was docked for one day. I returned the next day uh, after that, so miss, missed one day of work, then had a, another meeting with the next level up supervising, and that was uh, the special agent in charge. Again, expressed the same concerns, and at that point she said some things to me about, um, you know, I. I I held a little fringe belief about January 6th uh, investigations and, and that um, I was, you know, under some sort of uh, misconception and that, you know, there was some sort of conspiracy going on within the FBI and that, I, and that that was, I should probably do some soul searching about whether or not I felt that I could continue to work for the agency. She, she said that um, I couldn't possibly understand because she had been on the seventh floor of the Hoover building that day that the people tried to seize our democracy uh -huh. and the fear that she felt was, was real and that um, this was a legitimate and, um, investigation that was going on. And I, um, ultimately I just said, look, I, we received training in the FBI. It is a significant part, a significant day that it, where you go to the, U.S. Holocaust Memorial and Museum, and you go to the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial, and the message of that day is that abuses of power can lead to things like genocide and, and gross civil rights violations, and that's only uh, able to happen if the police in that government are an apparatchik of, a, of, of the state and they refuse to stand stand up against it. And I said, frankly. I think I'm in keeping with my training and I'm in keeping with my oath. I think we could be violating people's Eighth Amendment rights with cruel and unusual punishment. I think we could be violating the due process rights by, you know, not following the rules that we have set out for carrying our investigations. And uh, yeah. she she didn't agree. And uh, then uh, within a few weeks, uh, my suspension came down um, right. and I you know, I received notice that it was for my unwillingness to participate in January 6th, and right. then for uh, an unrelated incident where, uh, at that point, I knew I was in the disciplinary process. I sought some legal um, guidance and counsel, and they asked right. me to get an employee handbook for them to to have for as a resource. 
So I got yep. that document and they, they told me, the FBI said that I had properly accessed that document. And that was a wow. uh, security, um, so it was a security matter. So my security clearance right. was suspended. Wow. For, for accessing the employee manual that you're supposed to be able to refer to, right? Correct. Yeah, I, I accessed the employee manual, um, some guidance on disciplinary procedures, the uh, the diog, and uh, and then also got every quarter the uh, Office of Professional Responsibility uh, gives us an email where they say potential uh, violations and, and discipline, and then what are the uh, what are the right. ramifications. So I figured that would be a good rule of thumb to know what, what I was going to be getting. So I, I got the last five years of those emails, so I would yeah. have them as a as a good rubric to what to expect would be a reasonable right. punishment should I be disciplined. Right. Well, and for that, your security clearance is full, right? Uh, yes. Yes, it is. It's, well, it's, it's suspended. Right. Uh, security division is right. going to be doing That's an investigation. Right. Yep. Um, when you go through this process and you see the answers and you see a supervisor who's unaware that actually an officers weren't killed, they may have died from stress or something afterwards, but they weren't killed by any perpetrator on January 5th, you hear the uh, supervisor talk about how she was she saw democracy being destroyed or and threatened on on January 6th. Do you have any sense? Do you have any concerns that uh, these are political beliefs or that there are partisan political beliefs driving some of the decision making in, in the inside the FBI? I think no matter what, you know, we're all human and we all bring different biases to the table. Uh, I think when you, you know, if you're inclined to believe one thing uh, and you combine that with the incentive that you could become involved in what's considered one of the biggest investigations ever in the history of the Department of Justice and the FBI, uh, and you could promote your career out of it, and it's also something that you might, you know, have, think is a righteous cause, you, there's an inclination to, to go to that next level, which you're willing to step outside the bounds of the rules and, and perhaps even, you know, work against your, your oath that you took. Wow. Uh, and I've learned this having covered many whistleblower cases inside the FBI going all the way back to the early 90s. Um, uh, oftentimes when there's one who comes forward, there are many uh, silent who share the same concerns. Have you encountered other colleagues uh, in the course of your work who have similar concerns about uh, exceeding the manual, uh, uh, taking risks that aren't necessary, or uh, mistreating or excessively treating uh, defendants in this investigation? All my interactions are almost universally like that. So you know, I, I might be one of the um, you know, two whistleblowers that were willing to, to sit down in the room with, uh, with the bosses and express it. Um, right. But whenever I've spoken to my colleagues, and granted, I don't know everybody in the FBI, but I do know a, right. a fair amount of them, um, and as well as the retired agent population, um, to a man, everyone has said that they disagree with how this has gone on, which is one of the reasons that I kind of was shaking my head when my special agent in charge said that I was I held a fringe belief about this. And I said, right. I said well, you maybe need to think to myself, you might need to take the temperature of the room a little bit more uh, from your right. people because, you know, talking to the members of the JTTF that I worked with, they were all essentially sitting in limbo with their fingers crossed that Washington, D.C. was going to decide not to charge these people with crimes that they though were not real crimes. They were, you know, had walked into the building or even just been on the ground. There was there's a whole line now where they're going to extend the area outside of the Capitol, you know, the four walls of the Capitol, the perimeter, and say that those that lawn is a restricted area. And then they're just going to come down with another wave of 
of charges for misdemeanors for you know, entering a restricted area, or you know maybe somebody has a pocket knife and they happen to be standing on the lawn outside the Capitol, right. well, it's possession of a weapon on a restricted area. Now, now you're really in trouble, especially in Washington, D.C. So have you witnessed them trying to expand the perimeter in recent months to get more people charged? I've heard I heard conversation from um, other members of our JTF that in their discussions with uh, with Washington, which you know, full disclosure, I was not really a part right. of to, to these 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 talks. I um, right, you know, my, I was trying to do my child exploitation cases and you know be available to do January sixth when if there was legitimate work to do. But yeah, they said that they were hearing, hey, they're they're going to start to expand the zone um, to get wow. to get more subjects because they're really trying to send a message. Amazing. And that's, that's really at the end of the day, what you see, right? The process is to send a message rather than to use the FBI guidelines to conduct every investigation the same way, right? This one is being in your mind handled differently than the way most other investigations under similar circumstances would be handled. There's no question that the pro uh, the process is the punishment. I sat in with an interview with somebody. I don't know if they're going to be charged with a crime, but the very fact that I was sitting there and they were, you know, dealing with the stress of talking to two FBI agents in a law office for an attorney who I'm sure was not free. Um, you know, if, if that gentleman um, doesn't get charged with a crime, he's still out, you know, having to pay his attorney. And he uh, expressed to us he was going to be out of a job because his employer uh, was upset with him being involved at all. So that's somebody whose life is completely turned upside down. And um, that doesn't even begin to know if he's going to be sitting in an orange jumpsuit at some point. Yeah. Amazing. And then let me ask this last thing, because an odd thing happened right around the time that your uh, suspension came down. Uh, your wife has a Facebook account. Apparently it gets suspended or uh, taken offline as a result of some messages she sent through private messenger, right? Not public posting. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Yes, that's correct. My wife uh, has a, a Facebook account. Uh, she, uh, it was hacked uh, months and months ago and she had to go through some hoops to get it back. She was just worried about her, uh, you know, friends of hers that were getting some weird and solicitous messages and she just wanted to actually get her pictures back. So she went through the rigmarole to get her account back. She showed and verified her identity with a driver's license once the account got restored, uh, she changed the name on it. Uh, my wife's from Ukraine, so her right. uh, she uses a, the Cyrillic alphabet uh, for her name, so it didn't display her uh, her American name. Uh, we had a friend reach out to us one Sunday right after uh, my name became public, and he said that, uh, hey, there's somebody from Monster Liberty Group uh, who has a message for you, and the message was you know, we, we'd like to, to help Steve any way we can. So my wife reached out, sent a private message to this, uh, to this woman saying, I'm Steve friend's wife. Um, it would be great. You know, any support you can give us just to share the story because, uh, at that point, uh, I had not come forward and, and discussed anything. Right. Um, my wife does not post anything publicly. She only sends private messages. She, um, and, uh, Within 30 minutes of her sending that message, she got a notification from Facebook that her account had been suspended for violating the community standards. And then and she it, appealed, and then uh, the next day her account was completely taken offline. Wow. And can you find any community standard that's been violated? Uh, no, and from uh, listening to uh, 
Mr. Zuckerman's discussion of private messages, uh, it was my understanding that those uh, they did not have any access to looking at those. And I right. just found it very, uh, very unusual because the only thing that would indicate you know, who my wife is uh, was her saying, I am Steve Friend's wife in the message. Uh, yeah, and she provides her ID. But, uh, you know, I, I was joking that I said, well, I, I think my, my entire story might be a little bit uh, difficult to to censor because my last name is Friend. And Facebook <laughs> is probably going to have a really hard time getting an algorithm to to. To put, you ain't to kidding. It. That's a pretty but common word. They found one. <laughs> That's funny. Oh my gosh. Uh, last thing I want to ask you because I know how momentous a decision this has been. Uh, when you boil it down and you tell the American public, "I did this. I did this because," and for other agents who might feel the way you do, what advice might you have for them at this moment? So I I told my wife when I came to this original decision. I said, this decision is not easy, but it is simple. And my message to anybody else is just that. It, we raised our hand and we took an oath um, before our family and our friends and the Lord Almighty. And we are supposed to be people of integrity. And that doesn't, that's not a leisure pursuit. And when, if you are indeed a person of fidelity, bravery, integrity, the FBI motto, then you have to be willing to do things that aren't easy, especially when they're as simple as stepping up and pointing out when we are not um, meeting the standards that we have set out for ourselves. And and I honestly am a person who um, wanted to serve the country. This was uh, my dream job. I actually believe in the mission of the FBI when it's being carried out properly. And uh, within the law and within our rules, I think that a lot of good can be done and it, I, I guess it's sort of an old-fashioned value, but uh, I, I think that's a little bit sad. I, I have interacted with so many people along the way uh, who are great agents and great individuals, and I just hope that they will you know, not just look at, you know, I've only got a few years to retire from my great pension, uh, or, you know, i got to put food on the table for my family. I understand all that. I'm, I'm in that position myself. I'm, I'm not getting paid for um, I right. mentioned, but that I can uh, I can put my head down on the pillow at night and and sleep comfortably, knowing that I did the right thing. I know one day, you know, when my children um, they're young now, but you know, and then it was always a, a nice little ego stroke when they said to me, you know, my dad works for the FBI. Um, I I know that when my time on this earth is over, that um, I, I that they'll look back and say, hey, my dad was willing to to stand up and. You know, fight bullies, and that's why he became an FBI agent. And when the FBI became a bully, he was still willing to step up and and stand against it. And that's what I take solace in. Well, it's an amazing story to hear you speak and the thought that you brought into this. And I really appreciate it, Steve. This is a thrill. This is a thrill. I'm a big fan. I I, I love oh, I love your work. Uh, you know, I've got your books. Thank you, and, sir. Um, so so you know, thank you for the opportunity, and, and I'm honored to have had a conversation with you. Yeah, it's an enormous enormous privilege on my side as well. All right, folks, when we come back, we're going to have a good conversation with Ambassador Rick Grinnell, former Director of National Intelligence. Before we do that, I want to shout out one of our extraordinary advertisers. We're so blessed to have partners and sponsors and advertisers in the Justin News, John Solomon Reports family. And one of them is MedKline. 
I love MedClin. When I would go up to my cabin up in the Shenandoahs, I would wake up every morning in excruciating pain. My right shoulder would be numb. It would be achy right underneath the shoulder blade. And, you know, when I got home, I didn't have the problem. But for some reason, there's something about the mattress or the bed that I have out in the, in the cabin. And I have been frustrated for a long time. I, I had a neck problem. I solved that years ago with Mike Lindell's My Pillows. But this shoulder thing at the cabin, it was frustrating me. Then MedClimb came along. And you know what? They create a therapeutic sleep system that solved my problem. That's right. They made a custom solution for my right arm and shoulder so that my shoulder would loosen up and I would sleep right, not impinge the nerves and son of a gun if I don't wake up every time at the cabin now, raring to go, no longer in pain, no longer needing to take ibuprofen and Tylenol, actually just ready to roll. Well, that's what MedCline, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E, MedCline can do for you. One of the great things about it is that they have developed a patented pillow system to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. Doctors have recommended it, and also it's been clinically proven to provide effective natural relief for things like reflux, which, by the way, is affected by the way you sleep. Shoulder pain, that was my problem. So if you want to solve those problems, the studies that they've done, the clinical work they've done, shows that 95% of patients reported an overall improvement in sleep quality when using MedClaim. That's impressive. 95% of anything's impressive, especially when you think about the pain you could be in now that you could alleviate. So our good friends at MedCline, well, they have set up a special offer for you. In addition, they want you to know that you can use your medical FSA or HSA accounts to purchase MedCline using your savings fund. And they're going to give you 20% off when you go to MedCline.com slash Just News. MedCline, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E.com slash Just News, 20% off and a better night's sleep. What a good combo. What a be- How can you turn that down? If you've got acid reflux or GERD or shoulder pain or neck pain, have the folks at MedClimb find a custom solution for you. That's what they do. And you're going to get 20% off because you're a fan of Just the News and John Solomon Reports. How are you going to do that? MedClimb.com slash Just News. MedClimb.com slash Just News. Go check it out today. All right, we'll be back with our interview with Rick Grinnell, former ambassador to Germany, former director of national intelligence, right after these messages. Folks, Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, 
Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you your 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. So excited to have this next guest on. He revolutionized America's relationship with NATO. Then he went to the National Intelligence Office, and he actually got truth out that had been hidden there for so long. He is none other than Ambassador Rick Grinnell. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back on the show. John, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to have you on, and I love the crystal clarity that you often bring to debates. Washington usually has all this muckety-muck, and most Americans can't understand what's going on. You have this amazing tweet out this morning, and it catches the irony of our relationship with Iran, Russia, and Ukraine. You note that we want to give billions of dollars to Iran to get the nuclear deal done while they're giving drones to Russia to fight Ukraine, who, by the way, we've given $19 billion to help them fight the war. The inconsistency and incongruity of that picture, uh, it must really frustrate you. It frustrates me because I live outside of Washington, but for Washington, D.C. types, this is typical, right? They fund all sorts of foreign countries, foreign wars, foreign entanglements, and they, they don't ever really see the, the strategic blunder that uh, that is happening. And, and I think um, most Americans struggle with uh, understanding the very clear reason why we're putting $19 billion into Ukraine. And look, I'm somebody who's been around foreign policy for a while, and I understand the importance of blunting Russia. I understand the need to make sure that we're standing up for our values. But I think that things get blurred in Washington when they when they dumb it down so much that everything is black and white. 
Um, you know, I, I was ambassador to Germany. I know Eastern Europe well. I know Europe well. And the reality is, is that Ukraine is not the purest uh, democracy that people are making it out to be. It's a complicated situation. Uh, there's a lot of corruption. We, we say that a lot in Ukraine, but um, it is the truth. And Ukraine has traditionally been the bridge country between Russia and the West. And that means a little bit of Russia, a little bit of the West. They've been moving uh, inching towards the West over the last uh, decade. And certainly Zelensky has moved them uh, more briskly in that direction. And so we, we, we want to be able to think about these issues. But the, the hypocrisy right now where this uh, White House, Jake Sullivan, is negotiating with Iran, promising them all sorts of gifts, to control their nuclear issue, which I would argue is not controlling their nuclear issue, but is encouraging them to continue their terrorist ways, while at the same time funding Ukraine. And now we see that Iran has sent their drones to Ukraine. So uh, we, the United States, the Biden administration, is literally on both sides of the war now in Ukraine. We're working with the Iranians who are supplying uh, the Russians, and we're giving money to the Ukrainians. Uh, it's outrageous, but for Washington, it just means that all those big contractors get to uh, get more money, a war goes on, and uh, they keep funding this whole mess. Meanwhile, diplomacy is pushed off to the side. Yeah, it's such a missed opportunity. And you know, I hear from so many world leaders in the last couple of months the concern that Biden has not defined the uh, purpose and the end game for the, uh, supporting Ukraine. How big a problem is that when our own allies have ambiguity about what we're doing and what the end game is? Look, you know, for me, the end game is always diplomacy. It's always a peaceful solution. I'm a diplomat. And this is my frustration with the Biden team is that uh, we don't see any tough diplomats out front. You know, remember, um, the the fact is, is that Donald Trump and the Trump administration, we in the Trump administration, had sanctions on the Russian Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Everybody heard about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from Donald Trump for four years. We thought that the Russian pipeline into Europe was a bad idea, so we sanctioned it. The Senate Democrats, United States Senate Democrats, the Biden administration and Chancellor Merkel all got together and dropped those sanctions. Senate Democrats voted to drop the Russian sanctions on that pipeline. And, and, and that's outrageous because quickly we saw within just a few months the war in Ukraine. I don't think it's too much, John, to say that the first waving of the white flag to Russia were the Senate Democrats dropping the sanctions. I and mean, if you go back and you read what they said, they completely miscalculated the situation. They said that they were dropping the sanctions because it was bad for Russia to have these sanctions. Well, we obviously know it was really good for our policy to put sanctions on this pipeline because it was averting a war. And now they ushered in a war. Um, and, and my frustration is just there's too much war talk within this Biden uh, administration. Where are the diplomats? Where are the tough diplomats? Anthony Blinken has a plane. He can. He has his own plane. He can get on a plane and go and start talking about uh, diplomacy and peaceful solutions. Remember when Joe Biden messaged to the world for weeks that the intelligence showed that Russia was on the march to start a war. 
what was the solution from the Biden administration? It wasn't immediately try to do diplomacy. It wasn't rush to have Blinken go into uh, Russia or to Ukraine to try to bring European diplomats or the UN and, and try for diplomacy. There was no try. It was Joe Biden announcing, I'd like to offer Mr. Zelensky a plane ride out of Ukraine to get out of the way of Russia. That was our policy. We wanted a war. The Biden administration wanted a war, not me. And I think it's outrageous that they don't get enough pressure from the media to show that they caused this war by dropping the sanctions on the Trump, uh, the Trump sanctions on the Russian pipeline. Yeah, it's amazing. And meanwhile, we put sanctions by closing down our pipeline here in America, which created our energy crisis. It's just uh, it makes you literally scratch your head wondering what's going on. There was an amazing poll over the weekend at Fox News that really caught my attention. And it is that the vast majority of Americans particularly Republicans, independents, overwhelmingly reject socialism. But more than half of Democrats think it's a good thing. How did the party of FDR and John Kennedy end up thinking that uh, socialism is a good thing? Well, look, you know, I I, I talk to a lot of uh, world leaders, uh, and, and especially in Eastern Europe and the Balkans. And I've had one say to me, um, I don't know why you Americans are so surprised that your education system is in shambles and you have this problem with wokeism because for 20 years you've allowed your schools to teach your kids to hate America and to think America is the problem. And I think that's true. If you talk to young people, um, I was never more saddened than to see videos on 9-11 of young people talking about uh, you know, their observations and beliefs about 9-11. It was atrocious. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. We, we have failed to fight in, in, in many ways. Weak need Republicans gave up our school systems to, uh, to, to this woke culture. Um, you know, and I get it. As a parent, you're frustrated that the schools are so terrible. So you pull your kids out and you put them into a private school that's better or Christian school or, or some sort of, uh, you know, private institution. And, and yet what we're doing is we're, we're leaving these public schools to become terrible. And so we can't be surprised that, that all of a sudden these young people now are not only hating America and capitalism, but they're embracing socialism. Uh, it's, it, it's got to be something that Republicans stand up and fight against and and stop uh, just ignoring. Yeah. And there's some effort. We have a good story today about Florida and um, DeSantis and the legislature at least starting to dig into the higher education propaganda machine. But it needs a it needs a nationwide movement to root out all of this anti-Americanism that has creeped in. And it won't happen overnight, John. It, it, people need to get ready for this fight. The same fight that I do in, in California uh, through my organization, Fix California, I, I keep telling our donors here, you know, we didn't get here overnight. Um, it's going to take us years to climb out, but we're making a huge difference in California and our donors now are doing a five, six year commitment to say, we're going to turn this around. We're, we're, this is the greatest state and we've got to fight for it.
Yeah, it, it is. You've got to be prepared to move an entire battleship. It is going to take time. And, you know, one of the things is impressive. Liberals and Democrats, people like George Soros, they're very patient. They have long strategic plans and they're willing to wait to carry it out. And a lot of times Republicans are anxious, right? They want to move on to the next thing. But this is one of those issues where sticking to it and being strategic and fighting for the long haul is going to have a benefit for America, right? Yeah, and I would say with this to people listening to us uh, right now is that some people have to write bigger checks and some people have to get more vocal, but some people listening need to run for political office. They need to run for school board. They need to run for city council. Um, these are the fights that, that are super important. And so I hope that people are considering local office. Uh, it's, there's nothing more powerful than local office. I will just say this. I, uh, I live in Manhattan Beach, California, and we've got quite an aggressive campaign going locally on city council and, and school board positions. And I just endorsed two people for city council today because everybody was asking me. And it's that important that here, you know, I, I'm literally concerned about the city council races in Manhattan Beach, California, where I live. Wow. That's that's the sort of focus and granularity that conservatives need to have if they want to take back the country. And uh, that's going to be a fun race to watch, actually, out there. It'll be a bellwether for whether California can be turned someday. Rick, I want to ask you about this. Um, you did more than anyone to start the process of getting the Russia collusion documents out to the American public. Uh, John Durham's trial has been a narrative of building on those documents and giving us another round of disclosures where you find out that there, there were agents inside the FBI and the CIA saying, hey, this is Russian disinformation. Where are you guys going with this? The idea that an entire apparatus, the FBI, the Justice Department, ignored thousands of stop signs, thousands of warning signs. Uh, what do you think ultimately drove the uh, the FBI? I know the IG said, ah, no politics involved, but it seems implausible that a very smart group of people at the FBI could could have not have could have done this all by accident. Look, it's a, it's this slippery slope that over time, what they do is they overclassify information. So whenever information makes them look bad, if they made a mistake, they just simply classify the part of it. Um, that they can get away with that somehow uh, takes away the missing piece, right? So if you have one piece of the puzzle gone, then there's enough speculation of like, we're not sure what this is about or who this is about. And, and a lot of times it's just a name, right? You cover up a name and then, um, and then, and then you, can, you can really foil the whole um, transparency issue. And that's what I found to be the most frustrating um, you know, I think I've shared this story with you before, but it's worth repeating is that when I looked at the transcripts, the 50 plus transcripts of people um, who were testifying about Russia collusion and they were testifying under oath with their lawyer sitting next to them, it was quite shocking how many times they said, nope, I never saw Russian collusion. You had Susan Rice, you had Samantha Power, all these people saying, I never saw anything. No, no, I never saw anything. But those same people we're pushing the opposite message on CNN and MSNBC and in public. And so that's what got to me is just the outrage of these people getting away with lying. And so I pushed for the declassification and the uh, total uh, unredaction of the information. And the first, you know, go around, of course, DOJ and FBI came at me hard and, you know, said that I'm releasing classified information, I'm going to be sued and 
threatening all that. But when I talked to the mid-level people whose names were on the redactions, they said, you know, I didn't do that. My boss did that. And yeah, I'm in charge of that file. So my name is on that, but I didn't approve that. And I, and so when I would, you know, take the, the redaction away and I'd say, look at me in the eye and tell me that this is a source or a method, they couldn't do it. And they said, well, I agree with you. And I said, okay, well, this is, this is a Washington way. We're going to get rid of this and we're going to post it without redaction. And, you know, they're, they're, the leadership then goes into convulsions and tries to threaten you. But it takes somebody to just say, I've seen it. You're lying. You're covering up for your own, you know, PR issues, for your mistakes at the agency. And if you just stick to your guns, you know what happens, John? They don't sue you. <laughs> they don't come after you later. They're embarrassed. Yeah, because truth is an absolute defense. That's what it is. Yeah, they're embarrassed because, you know, I, and I released those transcripts. They're still on the DNI website, dni.gov. Go to it. You can read the transcripts for yourself. They were so important, such an important moment. I think really the turning point in a lot uh, in getting some of the mainstream media also to realize uh, something's not right here. You know, there's something to smell right. <laughs> you still had those Politico and Washington Post reporters that were then, you know, attacking the messenger. They were like, that Grinnell, he's so terrible. Yeah, he's terrible. <laughs> he gave us transparency. How awful. <laughs> it used to be that reporters were for transparency. I don't know when that uh, fell out of oh, favor. Now they're openly attacking it if it doesn't fit the, the left narrative. It's really outrageous. It really is. It's why America has so far abandoned mainstream media. They realize that they're getting a bad deal with it. I want to finish up with a very important moment. The polls show an extraordinary frustration in America with the direction on the economy, with the state of the world, with energy, with children and all the issues that are occurring in schools. What is the key for conservatives to make this a wave election? Right now, a lot of the candidates are up by a couple points in the polls. But what's the key to get a mandate and say, hey, we're running the country. We're going to fix it over the next couple of years. You know, it's a, such an interesting question. I do think the great thing about politics is that it's local. So it's slightly different in every state. Um, and it's hard to know because you look at some of the polling. I certainly have seen some of the polling in the races that I'm uh, working hard on. And, you know, sometimes it says that certain segments of the population um, are not responding to the crime issue, the rise in crime issue, because they're not impacted by it. Right. So you've got a lot of our candidates saying crime is rising, crime is rising. And some people respond to that and some people don't. Uh, it, they're like, yeah, I see it, but it's not an impacting me. And then the border issue, I think, is the same way. I think abortion is the same way. So. This is this is a game where you have to figure out how to get 50 plus one percent of the of the voting population. And so many times it's, it's hobbling together a coalition of people uh, that support you. I think there's no replacement for candidates that know their community. Um, you, you really have to understand the different people in the community. And I'll just give you one example is I love Carrie Lake so much. You know, she's somebody who has really rejected the political class, the consultant class, and she just seeks advice from people that she trusts and likes. And she gets a little bit of advice here and there from, you know, she's not paying everybody. Um, and and it's one of the things I, I'm close to her and I've certainly given her unsolicited free advice. Um, and she, what I love about her is she's always like, yeah, maybe, but I know Arizona. And I don't need some consultant 
you know, telling me what's, what's important in, in Arizona. She's like, I know these people. I've worked with them for 27 years and, and, and I know them. There is no better candidate than somebody who lives, breathes, feels, and loves the people that they're trying to serve. And so, you know, you go back and obviously you have to have enough money, but you have to have a really good candidate that also knows the power of the media. And I think, you know, we, we're, we've touched lightning with Carrie in Arizona because she is not the most well-funded. Um, she, she didn't get an, uh, enough money um, compared to her opponent in the primary even, but she won. And now she's being wildly outspent in the, in the general there. But I think she, she wins. Yeah. And, uh, and now, you know, people are beginning to see, you know, sticking to your guns actually can be a good thing. You don't have to go with the winds. <laughs> Back down. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a reminder that the greatest politicians in American history are people who have stuck to their guns. Rick, real quickly, just before we go, you're doing a lot of work with candidates. You're doing a lot of work in California to start to change the dialogue there. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with all the great projects you've got going? Oh, thanks. Well, I think two things. One, uh, fixcalifornia.com is a great way if you care about flipping California. We're, we have a five-year campaign. And, John, I'm, I'm really proud of something. Over the last 18 months, we've built a force in California with money and a digital campaign. Uh, and we now are registering 11, more than 11,000 conservatives a month in California. That's amazing. I didn't know there are many in California. How about that? <laughs> We're going to be growing even more and more over the next several months. Um, we hit 9,000 and we hit 10,000. Now we're over 11,000 per month. Uh, we got a massive group of volunteers. We found all these conservatives in our first look. We found 1.4 million conservatives uh, unregistered in California. We'll have to go back to another group and find another million unregistered, but we're going to, we're working our way through it. It takes time, it takes money, and it takes uh, really commitment from donors and volunteers. And we have it. We're, we, you give us a couple of years and we're going to make a huge difference. We'll, we'll make a big difference this fall. And then the other thing I would just say, as you referenced, is my Twitter account at Richard Grinnell. I, I try to, I'm pretty active. I'm much nicer in person than I am on Twitter. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll agree with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You have to stay. Uh, your Twitter feed is must read. Your ability to crystallize things that often are complicated for everyday Americans is such a gift. I mean, just the, the, the example this morning with Iran, Russia, and Ukraine, you go, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? It's such a, such an crystallizing moment when you see that. So such an honor to have you on, Mr. Ambassador. Can't wait to get you on again soon, but thanks for the time today. Thanks, John. All the best. You as well. All right, folks, we'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, 
add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So excited that you can join us. Two very important guests today, Agent Steve Friend, Ambassador Rick Grinnell, both making some very important points about Sanity, common sense in America. And when you think of that poll the other day that three-quarters of most Americans oppose socialism, except if you're a Democrat. There's a majority of Democrats who think socialism is a good thing. I think what Rick talked about, the education system churning out an entire generation of liberals preconditioned to like socialism, a very important part of the equation. All right, folks, we're so lucky to have you as our listeners. I can't thank you enough for all that you do to support Just the News. And we'll be back tomorrow with more headlines and exclusive interviews. I believe we have former Speaker Newt Gingrich in the House. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich talking about elections, the state of America. That's going to be a fun conversation tomorrow. And also the candidate for Secretary of State in Arizona, where a lot of election integrity issues have been percolating for a couple of years now. Mark Fincham, he's also going to be with us tomorrow. What a great lineup. Until then, may God bless you. May God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. Thanks for listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now.